Amen. All right, well, we're there in Hebrews chapter number three. And of course, on Wednesday nights, we are making our way through the book of Hebrews, going verse by verse, uh, chapter by chapter through the book of Hebrews. And uh, we're trying to make sure we cover uh, everything in this, in this book systematically and thoroughly. And uh, tonight, we find ourselves, of course, starting off uh, chapter number three. And tonight, we're going to go through part of chapter number three. And there are several themes in the book of Hebrews, and as we uh, come across them, I'll point them out for you, and I'll uh, identify them for you. But one of the themes that we've been talking about, and if you haven't noticed, the, the theme of the book of Hebrews is really the Lord Jesus Christ and the fact that Jesus is better. Now, of course, uh, the purpose of the book of Hebrews, like we've talked about, the reason that it's called the book of Hebrews is because it is a book written to uh, Jewish believers. It's written to uh, believers in the first century uh, who are descendants of Abraham, who are uh, Hebrew people or Jewish people, as they would be called in the New Testament. And these individuals are saved. In fact, I want you to notice there in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1, notice the, the first phrase it says, wherefore, holy brethren. So you see that the writer of the book of Hebrews is addressing individuals and he's calling them holy brethren because these are saved individuals. So these, these individuals that the book of Hebrews is written to, they're of Jewish descendancy, they're Hebrew people, they're holy brethren, they're saved, they've put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they need help understanding how to transition from the Old Testament into the New Testament, how to correlate the Old Testament and the New Testament, how these two different testaments and these covenants uh, come together and work together. And today, it's, this is still... Uh, something that a lot of people are confused about. There's a lot of religions and false religions out there that do not understand how we as New Testament believers came out of and transitioned out of Old Testament uh, uh, beliefs. And that's the purpose of this book. It's written to these holy brethren uh, to help them understand. So though that's the purpose, the theme is the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we've been seeing through the book of Hebrews so far is how Jesus is better. If you remember uh, we began in chapter number one with Jesus is better than the prophets. In the very first verse, you don't have to turn there, but it says that God spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, but hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. And we learned about the fact that Jesus was not just a prophet. He's not just a man. He's the son of God. He's deity. He's God in the flesh. So we saw that Jesus was better than the prophets. Then we saw that Jesus was better than the angels. We also saw there in chapter 1, uh, where it said, being made so much better than uh, the angels. So we, we've been seeing that. In chapter 1, we saw the deity of Christ. In chapter 2, we saw the humanity of Christ. Tonight, the theme that we're going to see uh, in this chapter is that Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Moses. And we're gonna, I'm going to show you that. We're going to dissect these verses, and, and that will become clear. Uh, but let me just say, say this as we get started. This would be extremely important, again, for these holy brethren that we see there in verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, these audi that the audience is the saved Jewish believers in the first century. This would be extremely important to them because to them, Moses uh, might be uh, the most uh, important character in their belief system, um, if not the most important character in their belief system. Uh, Moses is someone that they admire, they revere, they, they think a lot about. So the writer of Hebrews is now writing and explaining to them that Moses is good. And by the way, let me just say this by way of introduction. None of the things that are being brought up here, uh, are we're not being told that any of these things are bad. The prophets are not bad. The angels are not bad. Moses is not bad. In fact, all of these things are good. The prophets were good. The point is, the prophets were good, but Jesus is better. The angels are good, but Jesus is better. Moses is good. There's nothing wrong with Moses. Moses was a great man of God. We're going to see that here tonight. Moses was good, but Jesus was better. And Moses would be someone that these Jewish people who grew up in Judaism, they would revere, they would respect Moses. Like I said, he may be the most important character uh, in their uh, in, in their history, and you might say, well, uh, no, it's Abraham, uh, and, and though Abraham is the father of the Hebrew people, the only reason that they even know about Abraham or they have uh, documentation about Abraham is because they read about Abraham in Moses' writings. 
Moses uh, wrote the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They learn about their history. They learn about Abraham in those books. And that's why throughout the Bible, you'll notice that Moses is used in the Old Testament uh, and in the New Testament, referring to the Old Testament as just sometimes just Moses is referred to as the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, the law of Moses, the writings of Moses. So Moses is a very important figure uh, for these individuals. And this is why this would be a very important passage for these individuals, because he's going to talk to them about Moses, who's good, but of course, Jesus is better. Now, what he does here in verse 1, and this is all by way of introduction, I'll give you a couple of points, and then we'll have some application at the end. But I want you to notice that in verse 1, he begins by making this point that Jesus is the one that bridges the Old and the New Testament. Again, remember, that's the purpose of the book of Hebrews, is to teach us how the Old Testament correlates with the New Testament, and how we transition out of the Old Testament into the New Testament. Look at it again, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, this is the audience of saved Jewish Hebrew believers in the first century, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. So I want you to notice that the writer of the book of Hebrews begins by saying, hey, holy brethren, I want you to consider something. I want you to think about something. I want you to stop for, for a moment and, and meditate upon this thought, the apostle and the high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. And let me go ahead and just say this. This is good advice for all of us. We should all take time to consider the Lord Jesus Christ. We should all take time to think about Him and meditate upon Him and be thankful for Him and talk to Him and read His Word. So here the writer of Hebrews is saying, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession. But I want you to notice that he uses two different titles regarding two different positions. And these two positions come from the New Testament and the Old Testament. Notice what he says. He says, wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly colony, consider Notice this phrase, the apostle. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you would identify that phrase apostle with a New Testament position. Usually, when we think of apostles or apostles, we think of the 12 apostles that the Lord Jesus Christ chose. But here, the Bible is telling us that though there were 12 apostles, there is one the apostle, the apostle. And the word apostle simply means messenger or ambassador, one who represents the 12 apostles were messengers or ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Lord Jesus Christ is an apostle of God the Father. That's why he said to the disciples, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. So we see that this title, and we would call it a New Testament title of a spiritual position, is applied to the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, this is not the first time and it's not the only time that this is done in the Bible. Let me give you a cross-reference. Keep your place there in Hebrews chapter 3. That's obviously our text for tonight. And go with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. You're there in Hebrews if you go past the book of James into the, first, uh, the book of 1 Peter. Hebrews, James, and then 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, and look at verse number 25. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. The Bible says, For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto, notice these terms, the shepherd and the bishop of your souls. Now these, again, are both terms that are used in the Old and New Testament, but specifically in the New Testament, these are um, spiritual positions. A shepherd, uh, the word is used synonymously with the word pastor, means the same thing, is, uh, would be the position uh, of someone who leads a congregation. A bishop uh, would be very similar to that. A bishop is someone who directs or rules more of an oversight type position, where a shepherd is one who provides pastoral care, more of a care position, but these terms are used for the position of what we call a pastor. I am a pastor of, I am the pastor of Verity Baptist Church. I am a shepherd. I am a bishop of this congregation, but the Bible tells us that Jesus is the shepherd. He is the bishop of your souls. In other places, he's referred to as the great shepherd. He's, he's the, the there, there's many pastors, but he's the pastor. 
And this is why often we refer to ourselves as pastors, though that is a biblical term, and I am a pastor, I am a bishop, I am a shepherd, I am really an under-shepherd under the authority of the shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. I am an under-bishop under the authority of the bishop, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to notice that Jesus takes on these titles throughout the New Testament, these New Testament titles. He's called shepherd, he's called bishop, he's called the apostle. Go, go back to Hebrews 3. Look at verse number one again. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle. That's a New Testament term, New Testament position. But then the writer of Hebrews says this, the apostle and these individuals as New Testament first century Christians, these people are alive at the time that apostles are still alive. I mean, the apostle Paul is an apostle who's writing the book of Hebrews. That's my opinion. He's writing the book of Hebrews and sending them to them. So when he says the apostle, they would connect with that as a New Testament term. They would understand that as a New Testament position. But then he says this, the apostle and high priest. That's an Old Testament position. That's a title of a spiritual leader in the Old Testament. And these individuals, as Jewish descendants, as Hebrew uh, 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 descendants, would recognize the title of high priest as something connected with the Levitical priesthood, something connected with the tabernacle and the temple, something connected with the Old Testament. It's interesting to me that they say, that, that the writer of Hebrews says, I want you to consider Jesus, who's the apostle, the spiritual leader, and, and by the way, in the New Testament, when you talk about spiritual leadership and, and spiritual positions, the highest position would be that of an apostle. No one would be higher than an apostle. Uh, that would be the highest position. Below that, you would have uh, pastors and teachers and deacons and evangelists and all sorts of things. But the apostle would be the highest position. And in the Old Testament, the highest position would be that of a high priest. Hence the term high priest. No one is higher than the high priest. There's other priests and there's Levites and all sorts of people underneath them. But these are the highest positions in the Old and the New Testament. And the writer of Hebrews is telling us that Christ Jesus fulfills both. And the idea is this, that the Lord Jesus Christ bridges the Old and the New. He brings it together. He is both the apostle and the high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Let me give you another example of that. Keep your place there in Hebrews. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. In the New Testament, of course, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and then the book of Ephesians. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and then Ephesians. And do me a favor, when you get to Ephesians, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. And I'd like you to be able to get to it quickly. I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul does in the book of Ephesians. Very similar to what we see in Hebrews 3, not specifically about the Lord Jesus Christ, although it is about the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice this, this, uh, this uh, bridging of the Old and the New Testament. Notice it in Ephesians 2.20. Now in Hebrews 3.1, he says, I want you to consider the apostle and the high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Apostle being a New Testament term, high priest being an Old Testament term, both titles of positions of the New and Old Testament. Notice Ephesians 2.20. In Ephesians 2.20, we read this, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles, New Testament position, and prophets, Old Testament positions. And then notice it says, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So the idea is this, that the apostles, the leaders of the New Testament, and the prophets who would be considered leadership in the Old Testament, they all come under the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself is the chief cornerstone. So the idea is this, that Jesus bridges the Old and the New Testament. Don't let anybody ever tell you that the Old Testament is different than the New Testament and they're not connected. I mean, they're obviously different covenants, but they all, the Old Testament looks forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. The New Covenant looks back to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the person that bridges the both is the Lord Jesus Christ, the apostle and the high priest of our profession. So the writer of Hebrews begins by making this point. And again, you might think, well, I, I get it. What's the big deal? But to these Jewish believers, this would be extremely important to understand that Jesus bridges the old 
and the New Testament. And then what the writer of Hebrews does, keep your place there in Ephesians, we're going to come back to it, go back to Hebrews 1, uh, excuse me, Hebrews 3, look at verse 1. After making this point that Jesus is both the apostle and the high priest of our profession, that he bridges the New and the Old Testament, he is the highest ranking individual because he is the chief cornerstone, and it's all about him. After making that point, then he begins to compare Jesus with what these Jewish believers would consider the most ranking individual of their Old Testament faith, which would be Moses. Because when, when he made the point Jesus is better than the prophets, they could say, yeah, we can see that. And when, they, when he made the point Jesus is better than the angels, they could say, yeah, we can see that. But when he makes the point Jesus is better than Moses, at this point, they, they might just kind of pause for a second and say, I don't, I don't know, Moses is pretty awesome. I mean, Moses is pretty great. And he begins to compare Moses to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at it. Hebrews 3, look at verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him. So Christ Jesus was faithful to him that appointed him, of course, God the Father. Notice the comparison, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. So a comparison is being made between Moses and Jesus. He says, Jesus, Christ Jesus, was faithful to him that appointed him, as also in the same way that Moses was faithful in all his house. Verse 3, for this man. What man? Christ Jesus. That's the context. For this man was counted worthy of, don't miss it, more glory than Moses. And as much as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. So he begins to compare and contrast Christ Jesus with Moses. He says, Jesus was faithful like Moses was faithful. But, he says, though Moses was good, Jesus is better, for this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Now that's all the context. That's the introduction, and that gets us to a place where we can kind of jump into these points. Because what he's going to do now, he's going to give us two solid reasons as to why Jesus is better than Moses. Then we see three applications that are made uh, in those instances. Let me just give you the two reasons, and you can jot these down for your notes if you'd like. He begins by saying that Jesus is better than Moses. He's already made, the, made that statement. Now he's going to prove it. He says that this man, Jesus, was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. And then what he does for the next three verses is he gives us two reasons as to why Jesus is better than Moses. And maybe you can jot these down. Number one, Jesus is better than Moses as the creator, not the created. Jesus is better than Moses because Jesus is the creator and Moses is the created. I want you to notice that he talks about Moses, and here's what he tells us about Moses. He says that Moses was a prophet of God. And again, nothing wrong with Moses. Moses was great. He was good. But Moses was a prophet. Look at verse 4. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Look at verse 5. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house, as a servant for a testimony, I want you to notice this little phrase at the end of verse 5, for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. Here's what he says. Moses was a prophet of God. Now we know that if you know the writing, the stories of Moses, the writing of Moses, we know that. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, Moses was good. Moses was great. He said Moses was a prophet of God. He was a faithful prophet. He was a faithful servant. Now I want you to notice that he references and he says, here's one way we know that Moses was a great faithful prophet of God. He says, because of the testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. He says, Moses in his lifetime gave a testimony and a prediction and a prophecy of things that would come after. Now, what was that? Well, let's go back to the writings of Moses. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 18. I can take you to several references. I'm not going to do that tonight. I'll just give you one, and we'll make the point. Deuteronomy 18. In the Old Testament, if you start at the beginning, you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, then you have the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Those five books are known as the Pentateuch, or the Law, the Law of Moses, the Writings of Moses. Deuteronomy 18 
Look at verse 15. Deuteronomy 18, 15. This is Moses speaking. Here's what he says. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee. This is Moses speaking unto the children of Israel. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren. He's, he's telling them, there's coming a day when the Lord thy God is going to raise up a prophet. But not just any prophet. This is the prophet. This is the prophet. From the midst of thee, of thy brethren. Notice what Moses says. He says, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. Now I want you to notice what Moses says. Moses says something very similar to uh, what John the Baptist said. John the Baptist said, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not the, the bridegroom. I'm just a friend of the bridegroom. I, I'm not the, the show here. I, I'm just pointing you to the show. John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. He said, you, you, you might be coming out to hear me, John, before Jesus came on the scene. All of Judea came out to hear John. But John said, I'm not the star of the show. I'm not the bridegroom who's marrying the bride. I'm just the friend of the bridegroom, is what John said. He said, I'm not the bridegroom in this wedding. He said, I'm just the best man. But the bridegroom, the guy getting married, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the show that you want to be looking for. Well, many, many, many hundreds and thousands of years before Christ, Moses said, there's coming a prophet, and in the same way that you listen to me, he says, like unto me, uh, also unto him ye shall hearken. So years ago, Jesus, Moses said, there's coming a prophet, and you need to listen to him. And he was talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the writer of Hebrews is bringing this up to say, look, you revere Moses and you respect Moses and you put Moses on a pedestal and that's great. Moses was great. But Moses told you many years ago that there was coming a man and you should listen to him. You should do what he says. And that man was the apostle and high priest of our profession, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So here's the point. Moses was a prophet of God. Moses spoke about things that were to come, to be after, and he prophesied about the Lord Jesus Christ. Go back to Hebrews chapter 3. We're talking about how Jesus is better than Moses. He's better than Moses as the creator, not the creator, because here's the point that we need to make. Moses was a prophet of God. Jesus was God. Amen. Moses was a prophet who served and prophesied on behalf of God, Jesus is God. And here's why these verses are important. Because today, those who attack the deity of Christ will make statements like, there's no clear verse in the Bible that says that Jesus is God. Well, you've never read the book of Hebrews. Because the book of Hebrews is just, I mean, it's like all we're getting is Jesus is God, Jesus is God, Jesus is God. Notice it. Hebrews chapter 3, look at verse 3. For this man, what man? Christ Jesus. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Why is that? Here's why. Inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house. He says, look, you want to know how Jesus is better than Moses and why he is worthy of more glory than Moses and he's worthy of more honor than Moses? He says, here's the thing. Moses is great, but he who hath built the house have more honor than the house. Look at verse 4. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And what, here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, Moses was great, but Moses was a created being. Moses was a creation. Jesus is the creator. He's God in the flesh. And for that reason, Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Moses as the creator, not the created. And again, this is spoken of. Uh, throughout the Bible. Let me just give you a couple of references. We already saw it in Hebrews 1. If you want to go back to Hebrews 1 and look at verse 2, Hebrews 1 verse 2, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, that's Jesus, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, notice it, by whom also he made the world. So Hebrews has already told us Jesus is the creator. 
Let me give you another uh, reference. Go back to Ephesians. Remember, I asked you to keep your place in Ephesians. Continue to keep your place in Ephesians. We're going to leave it and come back to it. Go back to Ephesians 3, look at verse 9. Notice what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 9. And again, we could go to a lot of passages. I'm not going to do that. I'll just give you this one. Ephesians 3 and verse 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God. Notice this last phrase, who created all things by Jesus Christ. There's no clear statement in the Bible that Jesus is God. I think when it says who created all things by Jesus Christ, that's pretty clear. He's God in the flesh. He's the creator of the universe, by whom also he made the worlds. He's better than Moses, because inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house, he that built all things is God. God is the one who created all things. He's the one that created Moses, and therefore Jesus, because he's God in the flesh, he is better than Moses. So the first statement is Jesus is better than Moses as a creator and not the created. And I would say the big takeaway for us is that it's just one more passage that clearly states that Jesus is the creator and he's therefore God. He wasn't just a mere man. He was not just a prophet. He was not just a good teacher. You cannot compare him to just the prophets or the angels or Moses. He's better than prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's God in the flesh. So we see that Jesus is better than Moses as the creator, not the created. But then I want you to notice that there's another reason why Jesus is better than Moses. We see it here in verse 5, Hebrews chapter 3, look at verse 5. Notice the Bible says, And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. I want you to notice that here the writer of Hebrews says that Moses was a faithful servant. He, Moses... The Bible says, and Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant. Now, I won't take the time to run all the verses, but let me just say this. This phrase, Moses, the servant of the Lord, is found all throughout the Old Testament. It's used 17 different times in the passages of the life of Moses, where the Bible refers to, I'm talking about just that specific phrase, Moses, the servant of the Lord. And so the Bible is clear about the fact that if, if there was ever a servant of the Lord, it was Moses. And I, don't, I can't think of a better way to go down in history known as, if not Moses, verily was faithful in all his house as a servant. That he, that he was a faithful servant of the Lord. That he served the Lord. And by the way, again, this is not bringing Moses down or trying to uh, uh, make it seem like he wasn't that great. Moses was a great servant of the Lord, and he's a faithful servant of the Lord. And we're going to see in a minute that he serves as an example for all of us to be faithful servants of God. But though he was a faithful servant of the Lord, and though he was a great servant of the Lord, I mean, think about the fact that Moses is one of the men that appears on the Mount of Transfiguration at the Transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ. Moses is there. Why? Because he's so awesome. Because he's such, so faithful, and he was so great. But even with all of that, Moses was a faithful servant, but Jesus is better. You say, why? Well, look at verse 5 again. And Moses, verily, was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. Moses was a faithful servant. That's good, but Jesus is better. Why? Verse 6, but Christ as a son. See, Jesus is better than Moses because Jesus is a son, not a servant. Though Moses was a faithful servant, Jesus was a faithful son, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the writer of Hebrews is making these points. He's talking to these Jewish believers, first century Christians, who are having trouble understanding how to correlate the Old and the New Testament, and they're about to get a lot of information. I mean, we're about to get into some chapters that tell us what to do about the Sabbath day and about the sacrifices and the Levitical priesthood and all that. But in order to, get, before we can get there, the writer of Hebrews wants to make sure that these people understand, and you and I should understand as well, that Jesus is better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. And though Moses is great, Jesus is better. He's better than Moses as the creator, not the created, Jesus is better than Moses as a son, not a servant. Because though Moses was a faithful servant, Jesus was a faithful son. And I won't have you go through all the passages, but the Bible, let me just read one for you. Galatians 4, 7, you don't have to turn there. 
In fact, you go to 2 Timothy if you would. Keep your place right there in Hebrews 3. Find 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you go backwards, you'll have, after Hebrews, you have Philemon, Titus, and then 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Here's Galatians 4, 7. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ Jesus. You know it's better to be a son than a servant? And look, Moses was a faithful servant, but I'd rather be a son. And Jesus was better than Moses because he was a son, not just a son, he was the son. The only begotten son of God. The eternal son of God, the second member of the Godhead. The son of God, God the son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the writer of Hebrews, he makes these points. Now that's the primary application of this passage. The six verses we've looked at so far, the primary application written to Jewish believers in the first century is... You like Moses, I like Moses, Moses is great, but Jesus is better. That's the application. However, in these verses, there's also these secondary applicational themes that, are, that ran through it. I want to make sure we covered the main focus, the main emphasis, what this passage of Scripture is about. But since you're probably not a Jew, I mean, you know... Probably, I mean, if you get your DNA done, most, probably everybody's a Jew. Might be more Jewish than the Jews over there fighting Hamas or whatever. But it, it, though you're not, you know, probably you didn't grow up in Judaism, you might not have this big hump to get over and, and when, regarding Moses and his greatness and how Jesus is better. There's these other applications that are brought in, and I want to just highlight those for you as well in this passage so you can see those, and I think those might be a little more applicable uh, for you as a New Testament Christian, but not in the first century, uh, but a couple of thousand years later. Look at Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. You're in 2 Timothy. We're going to go there in a minute, but look at Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, Wherefore, holy brethren, Hebrews 3 verse 1, Wherefore, holy brethren, notice what he says, Partakers of the heavenly calling. Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. I want you to notice that the writer of Hebrews, though he's talking about Jesus and talking about Moses and talking about how Jesus is better than Moses because Jesus is the creator and Moses is the created, because Jesus is a son and Moses is a servant. In the midst of talking about that, he's talking to the New Testament believers and saying, you are a partaker of a, of a calling. He said, you have a profession. That word calling is defined as a strong urge towards a particular way of life or a career or a vocation. And when we usually use this terminology, the idea is that we're talking about some sort of a job or a career. And we might say like, you know, working at wherever, restaurant, that's a job. But then someone could have more of a career or a calling if they... They do something, and usually when, when we talk about a profession or a calling, uh, definitely a profession, it's usually something that is going to require a lot more training, a lot more devotion, something that you're going to do this for the rest of your life type thing. It's not just a job, but it's a vocation. It's a calling. And the idea is that the writer of Hebrews is telling New Testament Christians that you are partaker of a calling. And I want you to notice throughout the Bible, this is used, and there's different uh, adjectives that go along with it. In Hebrews 3.1, we see that it is a heavenly calling. A heavenly calling. The word heavenly speaks to the duration. The calling that you and I have is not temporal, but eternal. It influences and impacts heaven. It influences and impacts outside of this realm, outside of this physical, carnal world. It is not an earthly calling. It is a heavenly calling. It speaks to the duration of the impact and influence that we have been called to serve. Go to 2 Timothy 1. Look at verse 9. Not only is it referred to as a heavenly calling, but I want you to notice in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, 2 Timothy 1, 9, notice what Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, who has saved us and called us. You see that? calling profession, called us with an... Now, in Hebrews 3.1, it was called the heavenly calling. In 2 Timothy 1.9, it is referred to as an holy calling. 
So I want you to notice that we have a heavenly calling. That speaks to the duration, the impact. It's not of this world. It'll last for eternity. If you walk and live and fulfill your heavenly calling, you will uh, walk in a vocation and in a life that, is, uh, that will outlast this temporary and temporal world. But then he calls it a holy calling. 2 Timothy 1.9, who have saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Heavenly calling speaks to the duration. Holy calling speaks to the character. It is a holy calling. It is a hallowed thing. What we do is not secular. It's holy. The word holy, we, we like to spiritualize it, and we can definitely spiritualize it, but holy simply means set apart. That it's been consecrated for the use of God. And what the writer of Hebrews and what the writer of 2 Timothy is telling us is that you and I have a calling that is both heavenly and holy. It is heavenly in the sense that it's, it, it transcends this world, and it is holy in the sense that it is separate from this world. Not secular, holy, set apart, consecrated for the use of God. Then I want you to notice thirdly, in Philippians 3 and verse 14, if you would, if you kept your place in Ephesians, remember I asked you to keep your place in Ephesians? From Ephesians, the book, next book is Philippians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. But uh, go to Philippians chapter 3. Notice what Paul says in Philippians 3, 14. Of course, in the verse 13, he has a famous Verse, brethren, I count on myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. In Philippians 3.14, he says this, I press toward the mark for the prize, for, for the reward. He said, I'm pressing toward the mark because there's a judgment seat of Christ coming where I'm going to receive a prize for the prize, notice, of the Hebrews 3.1 called it a heavenly calling. 2 Timothy 1.9 called it a holy calling. Philippians 3.14 calls it a high calling. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And, and the idea is this, that heavenly speaks to the duration. It transcends this earth. And holy speaks to the character. It's separate from. It's set aside for. It is consecrated unto the Lord. But the word high speaks to its value. That there is no higher calling than the calling of of God in Christ Jesus. And Paul says, there's nothing more important I could do, nothing more valuable I could do. He said, I press toward the mark for the price of the high calling, the highest calling of God in Christ Jesus. Oftentimes Christians get this idea. They'll say, well, pastor, you're in full-time ministry. You've got this vocation and this calling of God upon your life, and you work in the ministry, and maybe these guys, uh, a deacon and these staff guys, they've got this vocation where they work and they, uh, their lives are all about uh, the church and about Jesus and about the Lord Jesus Christ. But the idea is this, that the writer of Hebrews is reminding us that, listen to me, we are all in full-time ministry. You are a full-time Christian. You have been given a heavenly calling. You have been given a heavenly pro, uh, pro, uh, pro, uh, profession. You have been given a task and a vocation and life that is heavenly and holy and high, and you and I need to live out the calling that God has placed upon our lives. Amen. We're all in full-time ministry. So well, I don't work. You know, I work a secular job. You work. This is the way that Christians should think. I work a secular job as a means to fulfill the calling of God upon my life. Amen. Maybe not everybody's been called to be a pastor or a deacon or an evangelist or be uh, in, in a position that requires a, a full-time job commitment to God. But listen to me, if you go work somewhere, 40 hours a week somewhere, hey, you're still a Christian. Amen. Work your job as a full-time Christian. It is a heavenly calling, a holy calling, a high calling of God. 
And today there are those who want to identify themselves with their callings. And nothing wrong with that. You meet somebody and they'll say, I'm a plumber, or I'm an electrician, or I'm this, or I'm that. And praise God for it. And some people even take it to other steps. And they don't even, it's not even their profession. They just identify themselves with this sports team, or that sports team, or, or a hobby. I'm an artist. I'm a runner. I'm a tennis player. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But the point is this, that the highest calling you can have is to say, I am a Christian. I am a servant of the Lord. I am a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And though I work a secular job, maybe, my life is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the apostle and the high priest of my profession. So the writer of Hebrews speaks of our calling, this particular way of life, this career and vocation. It's a heavenly calling. It's a holy calling. It's a high calling. And I hope that you walk out of here tonight realizing that you have a calling on your life. You're called to serve God. You're called to be a Christian. Whatever you do on Monday and whatever you do on Tuesday and whatever you do on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday, the calling on your life is a calling that is high, it's holy, it's heavenly. Now I want you to notice there's another theme here that I'd like to cover in the next 10 minutes if we can. Go back to Hebrews. Keep your place in Ephesians. We're going to come back to it. We see the theme of our calling. But then there's another theme. It's the theme of our house. Notice Hebrews 3 and verse 2. Who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Moses had a house. I, don't, I won't take the time to go through it, but it's called the Old Testament. He is the author, the main guy of the Old Testament. He wrote down the laws of God. The reason we have the narratives of Abraham is because Moses wrote them down. Of course, they were passed down verbally until Moses came around, but he's the one under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost that wrote them down. He had that house. The house is the Old Testament. Who was faithful to him that appointed him is Jesus, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted, Jesus was counted, Worthy of more glory than Moses, insomuch as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house. Notice the emphasis is the house. Moses had a house, but Jesus built the house. Look at verse 4. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. Verse 5. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, notice the compare and contrast. Moses was faithful in his house, verse 6, but Christ as a son, not a servant, as a son over his own house. So now Christ has his own house, separate from the Old Testament, New Testament. And then notice what the writer of Hebrews says to these holy brethren. He says, whose house are we? So he says, not only do we have this calling, but we have this house. In another passage of Scripture where it's referred to as the household of faith, the household of God, we're part of the family of God. If you kept your place in Ephesians, go back to Ephesians, look at chapter 2 and verse 20. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. These are themes that are ran through the Bible. Let me just show them to you quickly. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We saw that earlier, verse 21. In whom also the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. The Bible says that God is building a house, and we are part of that house. We're part of that household. Go back to 2 Timothy, if you would. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 2 Thessalonians, 1 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 2. While you turn there, let me read to you from 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. 1 Peter 2, 5 says this, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We are a house. Now, why don't you notice how these things are connected? First, he talks about the calling of God. Now, I hope you will realize that the most important thing in your life ought to be your faith. 
The most important thing in your life ought to be your religion, ought to be who you are in Christ Jesus. I hope you'll never be one of these Christians who does the God thing on Sunday mornings, but Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, it's my life, and then, you know, I go to church and I'll do that. No, no, no. Christ who is your life. It is my calling. I am a full-time Christian. If I was not a full-time pastor, I would still be a full-time Christian. It's a high profession, a high calling. Then he talks about our house. But I want you to notice what 2 Timothy says about the house of God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 20. But in a great house, isn't that what we're talking about? We saw that ye are lively stones built up a spiritual house. We, t- we saw that ye also are builded together for a habitation of God. We saw that Christ, a son over his own house, whose house are we? We're the house. We are. We are the different parts of this that make up the house of God. 2 Timothy 2.20 But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Here's what he says. In a house, you have different types of vessels. And the idea here is something that can be used by God. And just to help us make the point, let, let's think of the idea uh, as, as, as dishes. In, in a house, you might have fine china. You might have dishes and bowls and things that are used maybe in a situation of more honor than something that's just made out of wood and earth. I mean, that's what he's saying. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. And just by the way, he's talking about Christians. Here's what he's saying. Not all Christians are created equal. Some Christians are better than others. Or let me put it this way. Some Christians are worse than others. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. Some parents are better than others. Some spouses are better than others. Some workers are better than others. It's just life. There are some vessels that are made for honor and some for dishonor. Verse 21, if a man therefore purge himself, cleanse himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, if I'm a vessel, if I'm a dish, if I'm a cup in the household of God, and you're a vessel, and you're a dish, and you're a cup in the household of God, then I want to sanctify myself and purge myself that I might be meat for the master's use. Because sometimes the master looks in his cupboard and says, I need a dish, I need a cup, I need a bowl to use. And he says, this one is better than that one. This one's dirty. This one's always dirty. This one and his whole family's dirty. I can't use this. This one has purged himself. This one has cleansed himself. This one has prepared himself. This one, and you see how the connection is. You have a vocation that is holy and high, heavenly, and you are in a house. But some vessels are to honor and some to dishonor. So the question is, which are you? Are you meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work? So we see our calling, and we see our house, and then we see our faithfulness. Go, go back to Hebrews 3. We'll finish up. Hebrews 3, look at verse 2. In verse 1, he got done saying, Christ Jesus, verse 2, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. I want you to notice there's a theme here of faithfulness. Verse 5, And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. Remember that Moses called the servant of the Lord all throughout the Bible. You don't have to turn here. I'll just read this for you. Numbers 12 and verse 7. We actually just went through this in the book of Numbers not too long ago. But in Numbers chapter 12 and verse 7, God says, My servant Moses is not so 
who is faithful in all mine house. And just to remember the context, the context was Aaron and Miriam attacking Moses and saying, well, why is, why does, can't God speak to everyone? Can't everybody be spoken? Uh, can't God, and, and God comes down and tells Aaron and Miriam, I speak to my prophets in a dream. I speak to other people in a vision. My servant Moses is not so. I speak to him mouth to mouth. I speak to him clearly. He says, my servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. What made Moses so special? Because is, is God a respecter of persons? Where God just says, Moses, I'm going to make Moses great, Paul's great. What makes certain Christians great in the sight of God? Meat for the master's use is their willingness to be used, their availability and their faithfulness. So I want you to notice what the writer of Hebrews says. He says Christ was faithful. He says Moses was faithful, verse 6, Hebrews 3 and verse 6. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we? And then he says this, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. What's he saying? He's saying, stay faithful. Because you have a high calling. You have a heavenly calling. You have a holy calling. God wants to use you. God wants you to be meat for the master's use. But Christians have a tendency to get distracted. Prone to wander, oh, oh, oh Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We have a tendency to get distracted. We have a tendency to get tired. We have a tendency to, to, to want to, to quit. And what made Moses so special, what made Paul so special, what made these great men of God throughout the Bible so fa- uh, special, is that they were faithful. Look, I don't, I don't want to be a soul winner for a few years. I want to be a soul winner for the rest of my life. I don't want to be a three to thrive, and I did it for three years or four years, and then kind of just faded out. No, no, I want to be doing this for decades. Amen. I want God to look down and say, there, look, I want, I want to get to the judgment seat of Christ, and there's no higher calling than to have God say, there was a faithful servant. Enter into thy kingdom. Into my kingdom, I want him to look at me and say, you were a faithful servant. You are a servant of God. There's no higher calling. You say, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't get invited to preach at the Fire Breathing Baptist Fellowship. Well, here's what you can be. You can be a faithful servant of God Amen. and just faithfully serve. And maybe nobody ever notices you. Maybe nobody ever recognizes you. Maybe you never get uh, accolades. Maybe you, you never get any credit. I think we're going to get to the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to be shocked at the people that maybe get to come to the front of the line. Some little lady you've never heard of, but she was a prayer warrior. Some, some older gentleman you, you've never heard of, but they were just a faithful soul winner. They were just faithful in their work. Please understand this. There is no higher calling than to be called a faithful servant of God. It should be your goal. It should be my goal. No matter what your profession is, your calling is to be a faithful servant of God bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for these passages of Scripture. They challenge us. They motivate us. There's so many things that could be said about Moses, the founder of the nation, the deliverer of the people, the writer of Scripture a mighty man of miracles and wonders, a a great leader. But the greatest compliment the Bible gives him is the servant of the Lord. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to be servants. Help us to see ourselves as servants. My heavenly calling, my holy calling, my high calling is to serve God. I want to be a vessel purged and meet for the master's use. I pray you'd help us to remember that. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be able to be like Moses, 
and just serve you faithfully with our lives. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to have Brother Moses come up and lead us in a final song. I've been preaching about him all night.